I showed up at club rides here in Rochester on this bike that I built myself and people start looking at it saying, wow, that's kind of cool. Can you build a bike for me? That's the voice of Georgina Terry, the very first person to market bikes designed for women. She's the founder of Terry Precision Bicycles. I'm sure you're familiar with Terry and probably have a Terry saddle or pair of shorts. And she's a pioneer in the bike industry. Her most recent venture is Georgina Terry, a hand-built steel bicycle brand. In this episode, we talk about the origin of Terry, why women's specific bicycle design is important, and how despite everything she's accomplished, she's always prioritized time on the bicycle. Georgina is an absolute force of nature and an inspiration for all women. You don't want to miss this interview, coming up right after the intro. You're listening to the Femme Cyclist Podcast, and I'm your host, Kristen Bonkowski. Like most of you, I'm a bicycle-obsessed rider and sometimes racer. Each week, I'll bring you interviews from inspiring women and offer tips and tricks to help you thrive on the bike. At Femme Cyclist, we celebrate all forms of riding and all forms of women. So whether you're a road racer, bike commuter, or hardcore shredder, You'll find your tribe here. So to get started, I've read a bunch of articles and interviews with you, and I feel like the story always begins with you starting to learn to build bikes in your basement. But I'm curious about what you were doing before you started building bikes and, you know, who was Georgina Terry before Terry Bicycles? Oh, uh, Georgina Terry was a very avid cyclist before Terry Bicycles. And she was also a mechanical engineer. And the two, the two worlds kind of came together and, and gave rise eventually to Terry Precision Bicycles. But I'm also, I found out when I, I first started my career after I got my degree in engineering that I was not a particularly good team player and didn't, didn't work well with large corporations. <laughs> I just... I, I always just wanted to be on my own with my idea and making my idea what my focus was. I couldn't get excited about other people's ideas. And rather than, than choose to, uh, to improve that weakness or get rid of it, I decided to just accept it as a weakness and to concentrate on my strengths, which was when I get passionate about something, I go full bore on it. And that's what happened with bicycles. And when you very first started building bikes in your basement, how did that go about? I mean, I heard that you've been largely um, self-taught, but surely you had to get help from others somehow. Well, (laughs) there again, being an independent soul, (laughs) I wasn't wasn't always great about reaching out to other people or assuming that I couldn't figure it out myself in due time. I think the the only real help that I got was just – learning how to to braise properly, mostly without blowing myself up or starting a fire or doing something that would, you know, be really catastrophic. But in terms of understanding the metallurgy of of brazing and that kind of thing, I just read a lot and, and tried to understand it from that standpoint and then to see how all of that theory played into reality. And when it came to stuff like just bicycle frame geometry, there really wasn't that much written. I mean, the rules were very simple. 
And it was there was a lot to be learned. I mean, you would start off with what the fundamentals were and then figure out that maybe the fundamentals weren't appropriate for everyone. If that was the case, how do you change them to open up the market to more riders? How did you end up then moving from just being in your basement, building these bikes one-on-one to actually turning this into a business? I mean, obviously you had this engineering background, but um, did you have a business background as well? Yeah, actually I do. I have an MBA. And okay. So, so that helped a little bit. But but the way it actually evolved was, I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the first bike that I built was for myself, obviously. And it was a knockoff of a Schwinn Super Latour 12.2, which I had been riding and was absolutely in love with. That was, at that time, just the coolest bike I'd ever been on. And so my first bike copied its geometry exactly. And, and that's when I started learning that, wow, why is this bike built the way it was? But I showed up at club rides here in Rochester on this bike that I built myself. And people start looking at it saying, wow, that's kind of cool. Can you build a bike for me? Yeah. You know, so I would start building for other people, not concentrating on women at that point, just concentrating on anyone who wanted a bike. That was, that was all I cared about. Um, and then it, it became apparent that a lot of the people who were coming to me were women who had similar complaints about their bicycles. Smaller women couldn't clear the top tube. A lot of women felt that the reach of the handlebars was too far. You know, the usual complaints that you would hear about the neck and shoulder pain, crotch soreness, all this kind of stuff. So that got me started on thinking about what's unique about women. Why, why isn't this market delivering a product that's really good for women? And once I started doing more bikes like that, I really noticed a lot more interest in the bikes. And I decided to show them at bicycle rallies. First one I went to was the New England area rally in Amherst and built some bikes up and took them there. And people just were, they kind of went crazy over them. And at that point I thought, wow, time to quit Xerox and do this full time. Right. This is a lot more fun. And at that point, you weren't going to local bike shops or anything. You were just focused on selling. Well, it's funny. I did. I went to one bike shop uh, here in town at the time who was known for high-end bicycles and that kind of thing. And and I had this bike that I had built for women. And it had uh, just a very basic, I think at that time, it's probably a Shimano 600 group on it, you know, six-speed freewheel, all that kind of stuff. And I was selling the bike, hand-built bike. Just, I mean, beautiful, lugged, great steel tubing, Emron finish. I was selling it for $750. And I took it into his shop to see if he would be interested in it. And he looked at it and he said, well, it's a really great bike. He said, but no woman is going to pay $750 for a bicycle. (laughs) You proved him wrong. Yeah, at that point I thought, okay, I'll show you. (laughs) Right. So that, that was my first introduction to the retail side of the business. And how did you end up going from building these bikes on your own to actually getting a manufacturer building them for you? Well, that took a while. I mean, we built them on our own here in Rochester. I started hiring employees. I was fortunate. Um, the the first person I found to paint these bicycles was Brian Mordock, who was the master painter for Ben Serrata. And he started painting all of my bikes. And his business kept increasing. He said, you know, there are a couple of guys here who work for Serrata who might want to come and work for you, would you be interested? So I ended up with three Serata guys here in Rochester, 
mm-hmm. and a couple of other guys. And for a couple of years, we built just hand built bikes. What started happening was, I mean, it was apparent that if 750 or $900 seemed to be a lot for a bike, we could sell a lot more if we had a less expensive bike. So at that point, I started looking for a manufacturer in Japan and was fortunate enough to find one. We just had them make a much less expensive, you know, component-wise, tubing-wise, pretty much everything-wise version of the handbelt bike that we made. And that really opened up a much bigger market to us, especially with independent bike retailers who were much more comfortable at that price point than the price point of a handbelt bike. Was it difficult at that point in time being a female in the bike industry? You know, I never even thought about it. Okay. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but but at that point, I was just so gung-ho doing what I was doing, and I was getting such response doing what I was doing that it never occurred to me that I was probably the only woman around doing this kind of thing. I was just having a good time. So you never felt any, did you ever feel any sexism in the bike industry? I was so focused. I personally, I don't think I felt any sexism. Maybe I was just stupid or ignorant or you know, didn't really realize that, that it was there. Uh, It's the only thing that I noticed, I think really was that the industry really wasn't catering to women. And at that point, I probably, I don't think I thought of it as a sexist response. I think what I thought of it as was, wow, how can you miss a market that big? Right. Obviously needs more product. Um, but, but, you know, I never had anyone say to me, oh, you're just a woman. What do you know about bicycles? That never happened. I mean, I think people were really receptive to what I was doing and very encouraging. I remember going to a really teeny tiny little bike show in Massachusetts. Uh, and I went in with my, my frames, you know, which were probably not really great at that point because I was just getting into it. And Chris Chance was there. You probably know that name because of the Fat Chance Bicycles and later on right. Slim Chance. And I walked in and there was Chris Chance. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I am exhibiting in the same place as Chris Chance. I mean, me with these bikes just getting started. And he was the nicest guy in the world. He was so encouraging, so complimentary. You know, there. I, I just I think that's the way the handbelt bike industry is in general. They're just really open kimono about everything. They they relish anyone who comes in and they want to help them and they want to expand that industry. So that was my takeaway. So when you first realized that there was this gap and that women needed bikes designed differently than men, um, why was that? What are the specific anatomical differences between men and women that women need a different bike? Well, I think the big difference was and still is that if you look at a bell curve of men's heights and compare that to the bell curve of women's heights, women start in much smaller heights than men do. And the bicycle industry was really just focused on the bell curve for men. So if you were a smaller woman, you just kind of fell right off of the charts altogether. I mean, I I experienced a little bit of that. I'm not super, super small. I'm about 5'2". But I could, I rode a women's Schwinn bicycle, this was before I really got into doing it on my own, for a long time and lusted after a diamond frame. But the problem was Schwinn didn't make a diamond frame that I could stand over. 
you know, finally, 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 they came out with a 19-inch frame, 48.3 centimeters measured center to center, and I could just barely clear that. They, they really tweaked the geometry to pull it off in, in some bizarre kinds of ways. But that was just pretty typical. I mean, if you were small, you know, you had to stand tippy-toe over the crossbar of the top tube, and the reach to the handlebars was probably too long. What was starting to happen then was there was a guy by the name of Bill Boston, custom builder, I believe Bill's out of Connecticut, and he would go to all of these bike rallies with this design he had, not specifically for women, but for small riders. He didn't distinguish between men or women. And he was using a 24-inch front wheel and a 700C rear wheel, which just gives a builder tons and tons of latitude without compromising anything in the way the bike handles. And I had been trying to figure out how to make these bikes smaller and smaller, and I kept running into the issue of the front wheel hitting the pedals, you know, steep seat angles, shallow head angles, things that just didn't make any sense in terms of a good ride. And when I saw Bill's design, I thought that's the way to do it. So I asked him if it would be okay if I built using 24700C, even though there's no patent on it. I mean, that design is well known in the industry. It's been around for years. And he said, yeah, build it, because until you do, people aren't going to accept it. We need to get more and more people building like this. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was how I really got into that small side of the bell curve, which other manufacturers weren't. So I thought that was interesting that you said that you really took this design from somebody who was um, designing just for smaller people in general, not necessarily women. Right. And that's, a, I think, a criticism I hear a lot of women's specific bikes is that by calling them women's bikes, that's really just a marketing ploy. They're really bikes designed for smaller people. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. Do, what do you say to that? Well, I'll, I'll say, first of all, in Bill Boston's favor is that he only built custom bikes. So... His 24700C wasn't a, it was just, okay, this is what the wheel size is going to be. But I'm sure he made the geometry specific to the rider. Uh, Whether or not he'd noticed a difference in small women compared to small men, I'm not sure. But yeah, in today's market, it, you know, really seems that way. The the manufacturers have just been crazy for a while. Lots of them were into the 650C tire size, which people call call 26-inch road tires on their small sizes. There were a few who used 24700C in the very beginning. Centurion did. Uh, Scapine was Scapino. I think they did 650. Um, but then the industry got to the point where they were like, you know, we really don't need to do the 650 stuff. We can make small bikes in the 700C size. Women really are not that much different from men. We'll just change the stem and the handlebars or whatever and make them work that way. My, my own personal opinion of that is that it's just cheaper to do in a mass market. I mean, if, if you if you can build a bunch of 700C forks, that's a lot cheaper than building a bunch of 650C forks and then a bunch of 700C mm-hmm. forks. And and I think in a way, it, what I, I'm not sure what it says. I think what it says about the big manufacturers is it's the bottom line, folks, and we will market our way out of any malfeasance regarding fit if we have to. But I think mm-hmm. they they really don't give their their retailers credit for being able to to size people up properly on bikes. Uh, 
I, I don't think retailers are afraid of different wheel sizes. You rarely see unequal wheel sizes now. I still do that design with really small riders. But I use the 26-inch mountain bike size, the 559, which has some magnificent row tires available for it. And I'm able to cover pretty much all the bases with that. And kind of wonder why manufacturers don't do that. Or even, I don't know that 650V really buys you that much. I mean, it's in terms of its, uh, its speed seat diameter, it's not really significantly different to, to make a real sea change in that smaller line of bikes. Other than sizing, is there a reason to buy a women-specific bike? I would think that sizing really is everything because if I, you know, I suppose you could get into colors, but I'm not really convinced that right. looking at my customers that, you know, <laughs> their custom, their preferences and colors are all over the map. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, sizing and to some extent what's going on with the components, you know, handlebar width and stem length and, and those kinds of things, crank arm length. Um, but yeah, I mean, geometry is everything. Mm-hmm. It can look great. It can, you know, click, tick all of the other boxes, but if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit and you're not going to ride it. So one of the reasons I often hear that women pick a women's specific bike when they're not yet ready to learn how to customize their bike, for instance, is um, women's specific saddles. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I'm just curious about that because I personally do ride a Terry. I ride a Terry Damselfly. Love that saddle. Yeah. And um, is it, are those saddles that you actually designed or did you end up bringing in somebody else to design the Terry um, no. specific saddles? Those were our designs for sure. Okay. Um, I'll say again that the saddle with a hole in it has been around since Fred Blake patented it in around 1930, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so there again, and you know, and his specific reason for doing that, if you go back and read the patent, was uh, to protect the, the male and female genitals, which is kind of interesting because, you know, that's what we're trying to do today. So, yeah, that you know, that design had been used for a short time, I think maybe by Miata, I'm not sure. But the saddle was really poo-poo because people said the magic words, it looks like a toilet seat. And that was like it <laughs> over at that point. But, but we picked up on it and started doing it and got a lot of success. As a matter of fact, for a short period of time, we sold more men's saddles with a hole in it than we did women's saddles. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would say right now, if you look at any manufacturers making a saddle with a hole in it, they can thank me for that. I'm, right. I brought them that business and I wish I could get a royalty from it. When uh, one of our first manufacturers uh, was Sal Italia, who makes fantastic saddles, and we showed them the design, their eyes rolled, you know, and they said, oh, my gosh, this is awful. Nobody's ever going to buy a saddle like this. You know, one year later, they were in production on their own brand with that saddle. So... It's really kind of amazing. I was I was watching some cyclocross races over the weekend and just really curious. Just virtually pretty much every saddle, every woman and every man was on in those races had a hole in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's interesting now is to see men's saddles getting shorter and shorter. It's like, oh, my gosh, now men are moving into women's saddles. Right. And then I noticed that, that Terry, I'm not a, associated with them in terms of product design, where Terry just introduced an even shorter women's saddles. And I'm like, well, now Terry's making children's saddles. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you just mentioned that you're no longer um, associated with design at Terry Precision Bicycles. And I think you actually sold the company. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah I'm still a shareholder in the company, but I sold the majority interest in it to a, uh, a private investor in Vermont. And the company got moved to Vermont at that point. And uh, that that company's not really interested in pursuing the bicycle side of the business anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's how I happen to be doing my own line now of hand-built bicycles. And those are all custom-built? Yep, completely. There is no inventory at all. They're built as they're ordered. And do you think that that's the way to go? I mean, if you can afford to buy a custom bicycle, does that make the most sense for a woman? I definitely do, because you can get exactly what you want, you know, in terms of the components, the color, the geometry. It's the process of designing these custom bikes it's not so much sitting in front of a CAD program plopping all the numbers in it's the correspondence that goes on with the customer to determine exactly how she's going to use the bike and trying to think ahead you know where is she going to be as a rider 10 or 15 years from now is this bike going to accommodate all of those things it 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 I love doing this because you really get to know your customer well I made a lot of good friends in the process of doing these custom bikes. And uh, I think really, you know, for what you pay for for my bikes, you're going to pay anywhere from $4,500 to $6,000. You know, that really is not a whole lot of money when you go onto the market and you start looking at production bikes. They're not that far off. So why not get exactly what you want? Um, so now that you're off doing your own thing, what does your life look like now? Are you... Do you have more time to bike or have you always tried to find time in your life to bike? Yeah, I always try. (laughs) To me, that's that is the priority and and nothing gets done until that gets done. That's just what I I really love to do. So. So, yeah, I mean, it's nice because I'm not I don't have to worry about specific hours. I can make up my own hours to get the work done when the work needs to be done, which is kind of cool. And the other thing, too, is that it gives me some time. Um, to get involved in volunteer activities that I might not otherwise have done. So that's that's kind of neat. What are some of those activities you do? I uh, This is going to sound kind of weird, but I really have strong environmental feelings. Like mm-hmm. I, I just think we really, oh, this is just so precious and we are not doing a real good job right now. Yes. Uh, so what I do is uh, I actually... Uh, when I when I left Terry, I stayed with Terry for about three years, and then I left. And in part of my spare time, I I did a uh, a master's degree in environmental law and policy from Vermont Law School. And what I do with that degree is I do volunteer research for a clean energy group in Montpelier, Vermont, which uh, they they promote the policy that protects clean energy technologies. And I do a bunch of research for them to help them out in that area. So they don't have to go out and hire someone to do certain things. They just throw it my way and I try and do something with it. Yeah. It all plays in. I mean, if we don't have a really good environment, we're not going to have good bicycling. Totally. I think that's always been one of the reasons I really try and promote bicycling, too, is because it does get you outdoors. And when you're outdoors, you're more aware of the environment and what we need to protect, right? Yeah, that's how I got so interested in it. I mean, I've always liked being outdoors, but, but you know, I just started tuning in on things in a way that I hadn't before. And once I got interested in them, 
you know, like birds that were here certain times of the year, but not other times of the year. Mm-hmm. Wow, that just opened everything up. You are just, I've got to say, just such an inspirational woman. You've done so much pioneering in the industry. And I'm just wondering, how did you gain that confidence that you have to do all these amazing things? Or did you always have that level of confidence? I don't know if it's confidence or it's just being stubborn. Okay. <laughs> and and I, I, I think... Uh, I think what I would say is the the stubborn part of me comes first, and when it succeeds, the confidence follows. So that it's the tail wagging the dog, I suppose. And and I have to admit, I do things in a kind of a backwards way. I don't I don't always give things a ton of thought before I jump into them. If they feel right to me, then I just assume that everything's going to fall into place with a little bit of hard work. Mm-hmm. But I look at so many people these days who you know, want to start their own business or something, and they get so tied up in the minutia of what's going to happen that they lose sight of the passion that got them to that point in the first place. You know, so I just, you know, I don't, I try not to overthink stuff. That just stops you dead in your tracks. At least it stops me. So going back to the bike industry, I watched an interview with you where you said you felt like nothing had really changed in the industry. Um, as far as women go, um, since you first started 30 years ago. And I'm curious what specifically you meant by that. And then um, what we as individual women in the industry can do to help evolve it. Yeah, I think really what I meant by that was that there still is that segment of the women's market, namely the smaller rider, I would say the woman who's like five, three and under, who still isn't being served by the industry. I mean, that was the problem that got me into this to begin with. And it still seems to be the case. Uh, I, I think, you know, you see certain manufacturers like Canyon comes to mind for using, actually mm-hmm. they're using the 650B tire on their smaller bikes, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but they are recognizing the need that they they can make a better bike by using that smaller wheel than they can if they stick to 700C. But you see a lot of a lot of other companies kind of you know saying here's the research we've done the research da 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 da. Yet that woman still can't fit on the bike. So you know where where did the research get you necessarily? And you would think mm-hmm. with everybody trying to get more and more market share that the company that really, I mean, if they've got enough marketing bucks to say, hey, we've got the bike that'll fit every woman when they don't, then they've got enough marketing bikes to say, hey, we can make the bike that will fit every woman, and then they will. Right. What's what's the hangup? Why are we stopping? Do you think that those companies just don't have enough women within them? No, they seem to have a lot more women than they ever did when I first got into the okay. business. But, but my, I, I, don't, I don't know. Sometimes I think, well, here's an example maybe for you. One market that we never really captured at Terry was the competitive woman's market. I mean, even though we sponsored mm-hmm. uh, a team who raced and all that kind of stuff, the woman who wanted – to race and get serious, wouldn't look at us for anything, even though we had some nice bikes that fit that category. And I sort of think that, you know, that woman maybe is just a little bit different. She's the, because she became competitive to begin with, she's probably got some great natural abilities that, that the rest of us don't necessarily have. And she can make a bike that's maybe would maybe be big for a woman 
who is not that competitive or that physically adept, she can make that bike work really well and just go to town on it. And I think that that's, that's the kind of woman who's probably being hired by a lot of these companies, someone who comes from a little bit of a competitive background and who just sees, sees things a little bit differently from a different viewpoint. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that. That's great. It's terrific to have women in the industry who are doing that. But still, there are a lot of women out there who are underserved by the industry right now. Okay, so I've got three final questions for you. Um, but first, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. I know how busy you are, and i just super excited on a personal level to get this chance to talk to you. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate yes. that. Enjoyed it. Okay, so first question here is, where's your favorite place you've ever biked? <laughs> okay, this is going to just sound really lame because, you know, most people would say they biked up Everest or something like that. I can't make that claim. Uh, my favorite place in the world to bike is Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge, which is on the eastern shore of Maryland. Uh, it, it just... It's just beautiful. I mean, if you want to see environmental stuff, it's an amazing place to be. And it, uh, it's a place to see climate change happening real time because every time I go down there, sea level has risen a little bit more and land has subsided and the marshes are taking over. Well, the ocean is taking over more and more of the marshes and there's less habitat for that kind of, kind of uh, species. But the riding is just absolutely sublime. Very few cars. It's just like, wow, walking into a dream world. It sounds wonderful. Yeah. If you're looking for a place to go sometime, yeah. I it. let me know. I will add it to the bike it list. Yeah, good, good, good. We um, should go okay. to Wild Goose Chase. We do a woman's bike ride down there every September. Oh, wow. I'd yeah, love to do then, that. Yeah. It's the refuge. So, yeah. Um, what bike do you currently ride? And I assume this is a Georgina custom bike. It is. So um, uh, what components, I guess, would you have built up on it? Yeah, it's sitting right here behind me. It's a, it's a model that I make called the Gale Force, which is a road bike. And it does have 559 tires on it. It is a very, very traditional kind of bicycle. Uh, it has a, a Velo Orange triple crank set on it. Uh, a uh, 1134 cassette. The rest of the bike is full Shimano. It's XT. I use bar and shifters on it because good luck finding anything to shift a triple these days if it's not bar end right. or tube shifters. Uh, right. It's a beautiful blue bike. All of my bikes are blue. The handlebars are about an inch below the saddle, which is unusual, but I've always ridden in that position and still like it. It has bright yellow handlebar tape, beautiful velocity polished silver rims on it and hubs, and, oops, don't tell anyone, a Brooks B-17 saddle. Ah. <laughs> I said it was traditional. It's traditional. Very good. I like it. The best part of this bike, though, the tires. The tires are 32-millimeter Compass Elk Pass tires, which are incredibly supple. It is like riding on air. Okay, final question. What do you love about biking? Oh, feeling totally free and independent and just, you know, being outdoors in fresh air and sunshine when we get it here in Rochester. <laughs> 
just you know feeling like you're part of your surroundings that that you're you're just an open book sucking it all in and enjoying it i hope you enjoyed that interview as much as i did if so please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review also share this episode with a friend that you think might enjoy it it helps us out and it helps get the word out until next time happy writing